Hello, and welcome to Not the Alchemist Club. I'm Joe, your dungeon master, which is still technically true for, for this. Uh, joining me here today we have... Waffle! And that's it! And that's it! <laughs> so, uh, a word of explanation, and by a word I mean probably several lengthy paragraphs. They're all dead. They're all dead. I, in real life... I thought it would be a cool, like, immersion experience to, like, send actual monsters after them, and it turns out their out-of-game stats are not as good as their in-game stats. Uh, Waffle only survived because the Monster Emporium does not deliver to Oregon. Yeah. It's a, it's like a, it's a zoning thing. Yeah. Very fortunate in that regard. Um, I was out of town for... A week and a half, which managed to either travel or actually being gone cover both of our normal recording days for the last two weeks. Uh, and we have run out of fresh episodes. Whoops. Whoops. So sorry. Um, and because it is nigh impossible to schedule a weekday recording, we normally record on Sundays, um, Wavel and I are going to have a DM's Corner chat <laughs> i have no idea how long this is gonna be we do have a i think like two questions that are directly like technically both of these could be normal fan mail but they are directed specifically at the dungeon masters and i i pulled waffle and i say this like i think the only person in the podcast who does not have extensive dming experiences is, is daniel Oh, yeah. But Waffle was the only one whose scheduling worked <laughs> out the way that it needed to. And it's also a little bit of a a personal thing, because Waffle... I have DM'd for Waffle extensively. I have never played in a game that Waffle is DMing, and... It is one of the few stars that have not aligned. Yes. <laughs> and so I have... There's a lot of things I would like to know about Waffle as a dungeon master... Uh, so this is fortuitous for me in that I can just be like, Waffle, how do you DM? And he can talk for 15 <laughs> minutes. There we go. Um, but first, we're going to get these these questions out of the way. Uh, one is from Bernadette, who has written into us before. Uh, she says, hello, DM Joe, and whoever may be there with you. That's Waffle. Uh, me. I was wondering if there's a particular verbal exchange scene and or arc so far in the podcast that is your favorite or particularly memorable to you. Keep up the great work. She said we're doing great work, Waffle. Hey, wow. Thank you. I think we give Bernadette like complimentary mid gold, maybe silver to your plat <laughs> Patreon membership. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your platinum membership for this month. It's on me. <laughs> um, this one's for sending out uh, tiny vials of an unknown substance. Uh, it might be hatchling blood. It might be some other magical serum. There's only one way to find out. At least one of them is just water with red food coloring in it. <laughs> Gosh. Gosh. Verbal... I mean, there's so many episodes at this point. It's like I have to go to the list and like look through them to even remember... Right. What all we've done. There's just... We have almost 150 hours of content. Yeah. Um, God, like, highlights for me... 
I think the um, the underway when we were all down in the like dwarven highway, there were some really good exchanges there. Just like because you had this cool mix of like some people were definitely in their element and some people were so far out of their element that yes, uh, it was good. I feel like whenever the Fey are involved, we get a little more like animated and. Uh, alarmed with each other and also with our surroundings. So I was gonna uh, say most like Lady Blossom <laughs> interactions are up there for yeah. me. Uh, yeah, Lady Blossom and Sindrian and all that. Um, I think those are really good. I will also. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. Um, oh, the the tea party where we almost all died. Um, uh yes. In the dwar the Dwarvenlands, I thought that was a fun like um the kind of the like whenever the alchemist whenever the crew of the Teliferous gets really desperate, I think is when our best uh interactions <laughs> with each other come out. <laughs> and that's it's such a hard thing to achieve, especially now when everybody is has like five thousand hit points and Falrock can heal basically indefinitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely struggle with that myself sometimes. It's like, how do I create real peril? Especially because, and the, people have called me out on this. They're like, you're not going to kill anybody. You need them to do the podcast. I'm like, yeah. don't test me. Yeah, it's like, I also feel that too of like, it's so hard to strike that line between real peril and letting them breeze through it. And also, I find especially it's hard to do that in a way where it's not, like, too much damage coming in per round. Right. Because it's like, the more the more health you have, the more health you have to remove per round to keep things in a reasonable time frame. But if you have a monster doing, like, 50 damage in a round, it's really hard to plan around that tactically. Yes. And it just becomes a lot more uh, tricky. <laughs> and then you you take that complication and you layer in the the time commitments or the time barrier for the podcast as well. Yes. So it's like you have to make combat snappy and enjoyable and listenable, but also convey a sense of danger. Yeah. Or what's the point in doing the combat? Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, another character interaction I really liked. Um, this one's a little more whimsical. Uh, the bit where we were in, we were like right around the edge of Aldrax, and uh, Ched transformed into a horse, and we did a whole like rug salesman with his <laughs> ailing horse, and I had to take him out behind the shed because his wild shape was about to run out, <laughs> and trying to desperately trying to find an unoccupied alley. So I could quote unquote kill my horse without somebody seeing, and it just became this big a comedy of errors trying to uh, <laughs> trying to dig our way out of this um, this hole that we had made. That's that's the other thing is uh, peril is a really good one, but also when our own actions dig a hole and then we desperately try to get ourselves out of said hole while digging it much, much deeper in the process. 
I think we also get some really good moments out of that. I like. I still think back to one of the very first episodes where you guys were like the two guards in that charm person. that first town. Yeah. You did charm person and sleep, <laughs> and then there was this whole like charade of you must have had too much to drink. I, I remember there was a card game that I was prolifically cheating at in order to move people around the table because I'd made up some rule about oh yeah winning hand has to change seats yep <laughs> because I was like how do I how do I hit this guy with a sleep AoE and not hit everybody else too yeah so those uh, are yeah good times those are those are those are up there I don't know I have to think about this is Questions like this always really trip me up because as soon as somebody asks, like, what's your favorite X? I'm like, do I, have oh. I ever seen one of these X's oh, in my life? Yes. It's Who like, am hey, I? Uh, what kind of music do you like to listen to? I don't think I've ever heard music in my life, actually, now yeah. that I think about it. <laughs> um, Books? What are those? <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> so, um. um oh, uh, one last one. I'm, I'm literally going through the episode synopsis list. And... Fair. Like, looking at episode titles. Uh, the Orcs. Uh, getting to do, like, like wrestler promo stuff for Leyland. And, like, build up this mythos of the Night Stalker. Uh-huh. Or, uh, what, what's his actual title? Because the Night Stalker is the stupid... Night Stalker is one. the... Yeah, that's from Hopstonopolis. His, his Orcish title Shadow is Shadowclaw. Vale? Shadowclaw, that's it. Um, yeah, so they're, like, that whole kind of... We were fighting for our lives, but we were also kind of fighting to uh, uphold Leyland's reputation. And the idea of just there's five javelins sticking out of him, but there's enough healing flying around that he's able to power uh, through that, stay on his feet and decapitate this enemy orc is really, really cool. Yeah, that was fun. <sighs> I'm going to have, you know, we should turn that around and be like, listeners, what are your favorite? yeah from the alchemist club i would love to i would love to hear that yeah so this this letter we're going to end by uh instead of asking for more questions tell us what your favorite parts of the alchemist club are we've i can't believe we've never done that in like 150 episodes your okay two things your favorite like you know interaction or it can be like role-playing or combat or whatever like a, a cool maneuver we did i also want to hear the moment in the Alchemist Club where you've been the most frustrated, because I have a couple <laughs> candidates that I think it's going to be, but I want to know which one is, like, hair-pullingly frustrating. You would not believe how often I hear from <laughs> friends who listen. They're like, I cannot believe they did this, or I cannot believe they did not do this. <laughs> yeah, it, it is one of those things where it's like, every now and then I'll look back in hindsight and be like, wow, we really could have solved this in a much more elegant way. But at the time, I was just like, oh, geez. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> your brain kind of shuts off sometimes. Yeah, you're, you're in the moments. There are dice on the table. They're judging you. Yeah. You're trying to play <laughs> a character. But, yes. <laughs> um, so that... Good question. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Bernadette. We also have <clears throat> a Twitter question. Our first ever... Whoa! I know. Uh, Matt, when I said that I was going to do this like DM corner thing, and if anybody had any questions about it, uh, to let me know, he put it on Twitter, and we got a response, actually. A quote. A quote from at GamerHourPod. 
which I believe is a different podcast. I go check them out, I suppose. I have no idea what they do or what they're like, but sending us a tweet is enough for me to be like, they seem like cool people. Yeah, I'll give them a plug. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, um, what was it called? Gamer Hour Pod? Gamer Hour Pod. Yes. All one word. I don't know how Twitter handles work or if you're allowed to have multiple words. I do not I do not do the tweet. <laughs> uh and their question there are two questions, one of which we already kind of answered. What is what is your favorite moment so far from the campaign? Mm-hmm. And also, what is your most terrifying moment as a dungeon master and as a player? Oh, ooh, that's tough. I can um... I can answer the DM one pretty easily because this still haunts me to this day it was i think <laughs> it was legitimately the first time i had ever been a dungeon master first session i had ever run oh yeah and of course i'm just a ball of nerves um <laughs> always they they're going through this dungeon they get to the to the last room where the final boss is which is like a level three sorcerer that i'm planning to make a recurring villain and mm-hmm. uh the party rogue rolls really good on stealth, gets around there, sneak attacks, and gets close to max damage, and one-shots the sorcerer. Like, <laughs> triple damage for his HP. And this is this is um, 3.5. So they're even squishier in that than they are in 5th edition. Ah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, I had a whole speech prepared. Um, <laughs> he was going to... He was gonna misty step out and then come back later as like the a recurring villain that's like lieutenant for the big bad. It was gonna be a whole arc about finding where he lives and taking him down. Dead. <laughs> dead. Straight up dead. And I like I legitimately broke out and sweating. <laughs> Cause I'm like, oh god, they've killed him and this has ruined the whole my whole first adventure is out the window. What do I do? <laughs> yeah. I that's definitely like um, the the inexperience of like the first couple sessions or like the first couple months of you know DMing. You're like, okay, I I have these things laid out and I I have this lovely neat little idea, and you haven't learned yet that players are going to grab whatever you've created, crumple it up into a ball. And then do some sort of horrific origami to create something else out of it. And you just have to be like, great! That's great, let's do that! This is what we're doing now! Because it's like... Yeah, I definitely... I'm in the same boat where a lot of my early, like, DM nerves were from something not going the way I had planned or not realizing something until we were already, like, knee-deep in it and going, oh, oh, this isn't going to work. But I think these days, after see several years experience i i like that i'm confident enough now to lean back and be like that was a simulacrum he's fine yes or you know any of the number of magical resources for him to appear moments later in a magical hologram and be like oh ho, 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 so you've killed one of my clones have you you have my attention or my you know alchemist club standby favorite which is the last minute emergency teleport <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Always a classic. <laughs> he says bitterly. <laughs> Teeth gritted. <laughs> um yeah, my I so similarly I have like a it was my not my first time DMing but sort of first uh first handful of sessions. I I think I've mentioned this before 
on this podcast, but um, fourth edition was the one I started with. Uh, and there is a monster in fourth edition known as Bloodthorn Vines. And uh -huh. these may have existed in previous editions, but what's important to know for them about 40 is that they are a plant enemy that can grapple as part of their attack. And every turn, a grappled enemy takes damage, and then the Bloodthorn Vine heals for that damage. Yes. Now, these are listed as a level 2 monster. And so, if you're doing the, like, handy-dandy little, oh, hey, DMs, here's how you set up an encounter. You, you put this many XP worth of monsters into it, and then let your players run free and fight. And I was like, oh, clearly this is going to be a balanced and normal encounter. Uh -huh. And it was not. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, in fact. Anything, anytime a monster can heal from dealing damage, I think that should basically double its challenge rating. Because normally healing is something that's like pretty restricted to players. And it dramatically changes things. It does. It ver like it's, That radically alters the dynamic of the fight. <laughs> And frankly, I need to start using like I. What I need to do is make a make a villain that's just Wolverine, and see how long you guys last before you find some other way of removing him from the equation than just punching right. him. I need to put Shadowfall Rock into the campaign. Oh no! Which is different from Mecha Fall Rock. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, for now, eventually, uh, we do know that um, all the fall rocks the converge end. into yeah, a single. Yeah, they converge into a single rock. <laughs> <laughs> we do have another uh, fan letter that is for fall rock that I am absolutely oh, so excited, so excited to hear his reaction <laughs> to it. But we're going to say that that's a treat for next week. Yeah, I think my other like the other times that I had the biggest anxieties as a DM, like even now, is. Um, when I'm trying to do something like a recurring villain or uh, a villain who's supposed to do the, like, kind of the Strahd thing where they, like, show up, dumpster the players, and then leave. Because it's really hard to do that in a way that I feel is satisfying and, like, is fun for the players. And kind of striking that balance between, again, like, do I wipe them all out in a couple rounds and make it feel completely bullshit? Or do I kind of like drag it out a little bit and waste everyone's time? And especially trying to have a villain or escape or have something that is, you know, a, a bad or a undesirable outcome for the players actually successfully occur when you have between three and five pretty smart people also at the table all pouring through their sheets and pouring through their heads trying to come up with every single way that they can possibly like edge case get around what's happening here or you know whatever they can do and whatever they can come up with to try and stop that villain from getting away or stop the thing from happening and it's not always possible and sometimes they just have to be like look hey narratively this villain does have to escape and I don't like using that, and so that um, that that sort of half hour span, right at the end of a you know big climactic encounter where it's the players coming up with uh, a number of very clever ways usually to try to uh, prevent this thing that is 
quote-unquote scripted, like something that I would really prefer have happen for the integrity of the campaign. And then usually at some point, um, I just have to be like, you know what? You're right. You have outwitted me and you've outwitted my villain and you have come up with a a solution to this that is remarkably clever and you get him. And then I have to just go back behind the scenes and do a little bit of restructuring afterwards. But yeah, um, that sort of... That tension is when I feel most like um, it's the sort of adversarial kind of DMing thing, and I usually don't like to slip too far into that. So sure, um, uh, I'm not a very confrontational person. <laughs> uh, you, the listeners of our podcast would never know that. Yeah, I, Tarajux Heiko is so far from my real personality that it's it is fun in that sense because it is kind of like an outlet, but it's also Every now and then I have to be like, all right, what, what would be the measured normal? No, don't take the measured normal response. Do something stupid. What is the opposite of the measured normal yeah. response? <laughs> What's something impulsive and reckless? Yeah. What would Storm Jesus do? What would Storm Jesus do? Uh, lightning bolt, probably. Uh, usually, yeah. God, I haven't cast a lightning bolt in ages. That's true. There haven't so been it's... a lot of enemies standing in a straight line for you. Yes, there's that. And it's also... Cone of Cold is just a really cool spell. Yes. So, a little bit of that, a little bit of a Cloud Kill. I'm still so excited to have learned that Cloud Kill is flammable. I am probably going to regret that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These are... this. Is, <laughs> for those of you who have never been a dungeon master before, this is, this is something... The push and pull between the DM and the players never goes away. It only nope. ever gets worse as they level up. <laughs> more tools, more fun. And this is this is one of the reasons that the the Alchemist Club, like as they've gotten more powerful, has leaned away from combat and has leaned partly partly for that, partly for the timing reasons. But mm -hmm. also, um, I feel like the last you know the last fifty episodes or whatever, I do a lot less talking than I used to. It's true, yeah. I mostly set the scene, and then, you know, the party's there, and they're going to screw it up somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also, um, we've become a little more decisive, which is really nice. Uh, we talk a lot more in more recent episodes than, well, like you are saying, you have to talk a lot less. But also, in some of the earlier ones, a lot of our talking is us just talking in a circle about what we should do and never resolving it mm -hmm. and i think as we've gained a little more confidence in our like abilities and also um just more tools to work with and more like interesting ideas it, it becomes a little bit less like should we do this oh that's pretty dangerous ah but we should probably still do it yeah but it's pretty dangerous and now it can be like can we do this it's dangerous okay what if we do this 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 instead yeah and that's that's helped by the fact that quote dangerous has a a different definition now than it did back then. Yes, also very true. Because you have a lot more hit points, you have a lot more tools at your disposal. Desmond can just yoink people back. <laughs> right. By the way, speaking of which, and I think I've, we've probably moved out of answering uh, Gamer Hour Pods question yeah. territory at this point, but I'm happy to just ramble in a in a direction here. Absolutely, I have gotten. A lot of angry comments, both from people in the podcast and outside, about the fact that I will occasionally 
send players information and not make it available to the general public. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see how that would be frustrating. <laughs> like, um, originally what you saw inside the anchor and then the whole, uh -huh. the whole bits that I'm, I feel like we've been reasonably subtle about it. Of, yeah. Of your, your post-mortem experience. I bring it up occasionally, but it's not like, uh, <laughs> I have been, I have been intentionally vague about it. Um, yeah. And I can see how from a viewer's standpoint, that would be aggravating as fuck. And you have my sincerest apologies. You know who I get the worst from though is Matt. <laughs> really? Yeah. He hates that. <laughs> I, I do like doing that as a DM. Like, um, I think you have to strike a very fine balance between like being sneaky about stuff and then, uh, being willing to then pull off the, you know, the curtain and reveal it to the party and be like, oh, ooh, look at this. Um, usually the way I do it or what I use that for, sort of like one-on-one -on -one conversations with players, is more stuff about, like, their desired character arc rather than, like, specific individual secrets that they're hiding. But yeah. um, it, is, it is a useful tool. It's, a, it's an interesting tool to... I never, I don't really get much enjoyment from the idea of like, oh, but, and then what if one of the players betrays the others? Like that, that to me doesn't make for good tabletop personally, yeah. but I think if you have all the players still working towards the same goal, but one of them has ulterior motives or a constraint placed upon them that the others are not aware of, I think that can create for some really interesting tension and, um... And ultimately, stuff like that should come to light eventually. Like, you, there's no point unless there's a payoff. But, um, right, it is cool to play with. And that's, and... <laughs> yeah, it's one the one. I typically don't don't do that unless I've talked with the player about it beforehand. But in right. this particular instance, it's it has larger, like plot relevant ramifications. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because and... that's. I was trying to go through the list of like all the things that Tarajux knows that the rest of the party doesn't, and it's it's a fairly short list. Yes, and it's in my defense, those of you who are frustrated by this, Tarajux could talk about it whenever he wants. Yes, I could. There's nothing um, stopping him from doing that, other than whatever is inside his head stopping him from doing that. Yeah, whatever strange and terrifying vulnerability is present. Yes, <laughs> I'm not upset that you haven't, partly because. It amuses me uh, to see to see you dance around and see them try to pick up what's going on. Yeah. Um, partly because it makes things much more exciting for me later. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah. So I think that about covers the gamer pod question. Yes, I've um... I've been trying to think of like whether I have any particular terrifying moments that I've had as a player, and I don't think so. I've never. Yeah. I've... It's tricky for me because it's like terrifying in character or out of character is kind of a, a yeah, distinction for me. Absolutely. Like, um. Yeah, I. I th there's so the ones for me are the places that usually where I I get like the biggest like oh shit reaction, um, in character and out of character is when like a, a fundamental property of 
the setting or the characters or some some truth that we have taken to be fact is like pulled out from under us uh-huh. and revealed to be like oh that the so the example i'm in a an offline campaign at the moment where um i'm playing a cleric of a god that i may or may not fully understand the ramifications of um uh, so gee. i took <laughs> <laughs> I, I took the um, arcane adept multi-class thing specifically for, or uh, ritual caster rather, uh-huh. specifically for arcane familiar. Because um, the idea I had started with is what if you had a cleric whose like representation of their god was like a little destiny ghost. And so you have this like floating metal effigy. Uh-huh. And um, in the campaign, it's called the emissary. And there are a couple things about the emissary that are like immutable fact and it's one it is inscrutable like there's no it doesn't talk it doesn't respond it just follows along and does my bidding but it is an unknown object the second thing is that it is immovable um whenever it's like placed down somewhere or not consciously moved by myself it does not move it doesn't bob around in the air it sits perfectly steady and so there was a moment uh, somewhat recently in our campaign where uh, an NPC did a very large, very impressive ritual spell. And this was like a big dispelling wave that, uh, you know, interfered with all kinds of divine magic. And one of the things it did is just the emissary clonks onto the ground. Completely, oh, no. Like lifeless. And, and it just for the entire months preceding you know the party had always taken it as granted like oh yeah the emissary is this rocks literally like a a fixed point that we could rally around and then it just bonks onto the floor and we go oh no <laughs> we have we have what a is problem going on? there are yeah. troubles here and so i i love experiencing that kind of stuff and i love doing that kind of stuff where you just you say some small detail that takes the keystone out of this, you know, delicate arch of player understanding and creates so many questions. <clears throat> I was that was something I was trying to like get at with the the vault of the gods. Mm-hmm. Um I this is one of the things I always there's this part of my brain that's perpetually like, yeah, your story's okay, but you could you could make this a lot cooler, but I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> Coming up with stuff like that um but yeah it's it's hard to set that kind of stuff up Uh um i i'm very bad at setting it up but i'm getting better at recognizing it and doing it on the spot which may or may not be irresponsible for my future plans but it's very fun yes (laughs) as for yeah but uh thank you for the question um gamer hour pod uh Keep up the good work on your end. They seem like nice people, by which I mean they asked us the question on Twitter. Hey, um, go check out their podcast. Yeah, it's probably better than ours. <laughs> I'm so glad we fixed all our like production bugs. Same. I, I feel so much better being able to recommend this to my friends without having to be like, and every two out of five episodes are just going to be kind of shitty. But yeah, sorry. there's big chunks. The DM shows up and he's like, well, here's what happened during the audio that got cut. Uh, it's just the weirdest thing. Like, 
we were young. We were foolish. Yeah. We had no idea what we were doing. We still don't, really. I don't. I don't. Um, but we are better better at it than we were three years ago. Which I like to think so. By the way, we've been doing this for three years. Holy shit. <laughs> Surprise. That's terrifying. Right? This is the, the longest running campaign I have ever run. And you guys are only level, what, 10? 11? Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever get any, like, comments or questions about your leveling speed? Uh, mostly from, again, Matt. <laughs> uh, Fair. Matt has, on a couple of occasions, been like, well, we're only level 10. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of the people who listen to this and aren't actively playing it don't have a lot of experience with D&D. Oh, sure. So it's they don't they don't really like know to ask. Uh huh. Yeah, they're just like, oh, level ten. That's that's high, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which it is. This is like I don't really know that I have any like terrifying or you know sort of similar moments as a player, because I haven't really played in a campaign that has lasted long oh, enough to really sure. develop yeah. that. Like Zach's campaign where. Uh, the like, what what was it called? The not the awakening. Was it the awakening? Uh, the arrival. The, no. the arrival was the original one, and then this was like the sequel campaign. Oh, you're right. Um... It's an A word. <laughs> um, and there were some there were some pretty good moments in there. I don't know if there was anything that was like outright. That's not true. The that one like coat that showed up again. Oh yeah, the evil necromancy coat. That yeah, was that I, was so that was good. a callback to that was a callback to one of your previous uh, like villains, right? Or that was so it was a callback to a villain who was in that original right. campaign, yeah, the yeah, the yeah. prequel one, which made it doubly scary because it had been like what two hundred and fifty years, yeah, at least. <clears throat> um, so that that was one. Yeah, um, those are fun to do. Beyond that, there is... Uh, I'm in another campaign that's been running for a while yet. And my character, who was originally a dragonborn and was died... He, she died pretty early on and got reincarnated as a gnome. <laughs> so her like personal quest is to recover her, her body and yeah. you know, dealing with all the dysmorphia nonsense that goes along with that. Um there was a point in that campaign where we met a green dragon who did not kill us uh, on the condition that one of us like let him live part-time in our brains so we could mm. gain experience of the outside world, see what was going on around him. And of oh. course uh, that got volunteered. I, I volunteered to do it because, you know, I'm playing a cleric. My God will protect me from, you know, the right. out, outside right, influences, right. etc. But there have been a lot, there's a lot of information we don't want this dragon to have. Oh, yeah, so kind of like meandering around that and trying to... Yeah, and yeah, there have fun. been very near slip-ups where it's like, well, I almost got an entire, like, druidic grove, or a, not a druidic, it's like, a, no, I think she's a druid. I'm, it's a very long process we haven't played in a while and a lot of the details are like stuck in my notes but this druidic mm -hmm. grove that has like baby fey growing in it and a 
a nutrient guardian of the forest that's going to that's maturing it's like wow if the dragon found out about this it would immediately go and kill everything in there <laughs> uh, so there have been a couple of spooky moments spooky moments there but i think that's about the the shape of it really hmm. all right <clears throat> well i think um i'd actually like to segue a little bit into talking about leveling in general just for like dm styles um absolutely i i just think it's an interesting there's a lot of competing philosophies out there um we currently are using milestone in alchemist club correct yeah i have never in my life done experience leveling I do okay. not have the time or the inclination to sit and do <laughs> math. Additional math when I am additional playing additional math. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Now I um so I have done XP tracking in fourth edition. Um, mm-hmm. 4e was pretty nice in that regard because the XP was usually how you built encounters. Uh huh. And it was pretty readily accessible, and you could do things like add a template onto a monster and it would just be this much extra XP. And um, one thing that was really cool or uh, that I just sticks out in my mind specifically is um, this was in person and I had like battle maps and everything, but I didn't have a lot in the way of like figures. And so to this day, uh, whenever I'm like representing monsters on a board, if I don't have a specific monster or enough of them, I will use Legos. Yes. Um, and I had like some nice orange and some lime green Legos and uh, just, you know, the two by four bricks. What's really cool about that is that if each Lego represents a specific monster type and you know the monster type for that XP, as the players are killing these things, they're creating, you know, they're sticking them together off to the side of the board and they're making a stack of XP. And it's a really cool like visual indicator for... Uh, like at the end of the encounter, I can be like, all right, that's, you know, 300 for this pile of goblins and then 200 for this. And yeah, it's a a cool kind of visual method that I can then be like, all right, you all get this much XP. I like that. That's, that's pretty good. I will say though, um, (laughs) after giving that like brief, uh, you know, uh, promotion, I do not do that anymore. I a hundred percent use milestone. It is so much easier narratively as a dm to be able to make your players level up at a pace that you want and also at times that feel cool rather than like uh, you you halfway through this adventure you happens to right get enough xp and then you don't have to worry about like oh well how much xp is it to complete a non-combat encounter or to sneak around goblins instead of fighting them and all this other stuff that's just like nah they level when i say yeah I like whoever there are people out there who very much prefer the crunchy math portion mm-hmm. of of that and you know kudos to you you do whatever makes you happy no absolutely not I will there are so many edge cases to consider and yeah the non combat stuff gets really sticky um <clears throat> and 5th edition I mean maybe it was easier in 4E I never played 4E I never will play 4E <laughs> um 5th edition the the rules for experience are like there are formulas that you have to you sit and you you figure out like yeah i have because the the challenge ratings and the experience points sort of 
given out for them are based on like a, a standard level uh, party of four adventures. And I don't right. know that how often I've ever had a campaign that just had four people playing in it other than the DM, you know? Yeah. I, I, I've done like, I have done three, four and five. And actually, um, you want to talk about like times that I have been nervous. Um, there was a portion during my four games where I had eight people. That was a nightmare. Listeners, never do that. I don't care how good of friends you are with those people. Make them start their own campaign. It's not worth it. This is this is a contributing factor to my, like, that first session I ever ran. I literally went to, um, like, a dozen people in my dorm. I was like, you want to play D&D with me? And I think nine of them said yes. Oh, jeez. So we were all, like, stacked around the ping pong table in the dorm like common area trying to do Oof. this not good don't do it yeah listen take my advice part maximum table size of six six i my max is five <laughs> and yeah six is six is pushing it i would prefer three to four yes just for character stories if nothing else yeah. like being able to give people the spotlight and actually develop their character arc and have time set aside for them gets exponentially harder the more people are trying to uh, crowd their way in i am actually on the other end of the spectrum i am currently running a campaign for two people i've always wanted to try that and it's... i've never i've never got the, the lowest i've done is i think four yeah um, it seems to be very interesting. It is because combat becomes a whole a different beast then, because you're used to planning for an action economy that is heavily stacked in favor of the players, right? And that is not the case. Um, <laughs> and you have to think even non-combat stuff. You have there. You don't have a whole suite of like right. each player you don't have specialized three different casters all able to throw tricks at a problem you've got right. like okay we have five spell slots total yes so it's been it's been a very interesting and i think rewarding sort of challenge to to reorient my thinking for that mm-hmm. and i'm i'm enjoying it quite i recommend that you you try it at some point in fact i will throw my hat into the ring <laughs> i will be a, a player in your two-person <laughs> campaign there we go <laughs> Yeah, that that is something I'll have to consider. I have no idea when I'll do it because I am currently in four D and D campaigns. I'm in three, and I'm like, this is almost too much. Like, I I could not imagine having a fourth. Yeah, it's so the Alchemist Club, the the two person one, and then I'm playing in one that meets bi-weekly we used to meet bi-weekly i don't know mm. we ended up taking like a month hiatus just because of scheduling things and i honestly don't know if we're going back to bi-weekly or not and then oh yeah okay the fourth one was i was playing so this is matt is running a campaign he's running a couple of campaigns and oh right uh i have exited one of his campaigns and am joining another one just because of <laughs> scheduling issues right um so that's going to be, I think that's also bi-weekly. It's, that one's kind of seat-of-the-pants scheduling because everybody in it is, it's difficult to, uh, to get everybody to meet at once, which right. is a problem that happens as you play D&D and get older. Like, adult life. Oh my life, god, is it ever. I, 
I think the only reason the Alchemist Club has run as long as it has is because I can guilt trip people and be like, yes. we're recording. We're recording this for an audience. I need you yes. to be here. Still, one of your most brilliant moves you've ever done is like, you know, I know how I can get people to reliably show up to this game. We'll make a podcast. Uh-huh. And <laughs> listeners, this is all a, a byproduct of our original intent, which was to get people to play D&D. Honest to God, that is that is correct. <laughs> the fact that we now have like a, a burgeoning audience is icing on the cake. <laughs> kind of terrifying. Very terrifying. Ah, we love all of you though. We do. So I'm... I am in three campaigns. Yeah. Um, I'm a player in two of them: the uh, Alchemist Club as uh, Tarjax Heiko, in fact. Um... <laughs> you may not have. You may have heard of him. <laughs> He's kind of an obscure side character. Um, he, doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't show up in the spotlight a whole lot. Uh huh. Um, the other one, I am playing a cleric in that campaign I was mentioning previously with the emissary. Um, that one is in person. And then uh, the third campaign I am running as a DM uh, is online. Uh, it includes Zach, and it is actually not uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It is a game of Lancer, which is a mecha RPG. Yes, and I have. Is... I have been very curious about how that works. Yeah, um, it's a it's a very interesting system. What Lancer does specifically that um, you don't see as much in Fifth Edition is there's a very distinct separation between combat and non-combat. Um, specifically, when you get into your mechs is when you get into this like crunchy mech loadouts and a lot of you know numeric uh modifiers and everything and you're moving around in grid combat when you are on foot it is strictly narrative play and you have um sort of like fate style like skill triggers that are not it's not a list of skills that you like add uh a, like ability modifiers to it is um each one is a phrase and you can have a certain rating in that phrase and then whenever that would come up you apply that to a skill check so some of the phrases in lancer that your pilots can have um and like thematically i'm trying to think of like what a good thing to picture with this is i think the closest you can get like right out of the bag is titanfall so like a a pilot from titanfall with their like incredible martial prowess and mobility and all that stuff um, they can have skill triggers that are things like get a hold of something, hacks fi hack, fix, wreck, stay cool, uh, move unseen, read a situation, take someone out. And so uh, you kind of roll these, like you're stealthing through a compound and you're, you know, there's a guard passing by. One of your uh, players might say, like, I want to take this guy out. And they, they might have a trigger that is either like take someone out or apply fists to faces or you know any of the other ones that are there and then they just kind of like do one roll there and it's either like success yeah you take this guy out it's whatever or failure and then it becomes like oh uh you managed to subdue him but you take a little bit of damage first or he manages to raise an alarm and i i would say the weaker half of lancer is the non-combat stuff sure um i do not use the system in the way that it was intended for which is probably mostly my fault and it's just the way i dm but um tactically like the combat stuff is really good mm -hmm. 
it's a it's just like a really cool there's a lot of customization and you can make your mech into really really interesting builds like uh zach's character uh mobius donkill uh, a space dwarf yep. <laughs> is uh just a just a fucking brick wall of a mech um impervious to small arms fire covered in spikes so that you take damage whenever you melee attack them and just slinging missiles everywhere and has a giant drill because come on you gotta yeah <laughs> and then like there's another character whose whole thing is they're like a a flighty little hacker mech that can phase in and out of reality and teleport and so they're really really hard to pin down and they're zipping around and then we have like a, a samurai and then uh like a spearman kind of set up and it's it's just a cool it's a cool system and so i've been running lancer for uh, i think two years now roughly uh-huh and uh yeah it's it is a cool system definitely worth a try i don't i don't know that i would run it again just because of the like the non-combat stuff it i spend a lot more time in the non-combat section than is intended i think Sure. And uh, I'm I'm always shopping around for other systems to kind of supplement that. Splice but... in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are my three, and I that eats up all my time, and I could not imagine a four. Yeah, it's tricky, and I think part of part of what makes it viable for me to do this is that the Alchemist Club, like, we're never playing for more than two hours at a time. It's true. Because we, we definitely go for a shorter block than I would say normal. And the uh, the two-person one that I run, it's like, typically we can only meet later in the evening. So it's maybe like two hours is the max there as mm, well. Sure. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm becoming more of a fan of short, short sessions because, yeah. I mean, if you get into combat that ends up being crunchy and takes a long time, that's one thing. But it's mm -hmm. a lot easier, one, to get people to show up, and two, to plan for it as a dungeon master. Because you're yes. like, I don't need to have four hours of content prepared to uh, yeah. to have a good session Four hours here. of content and four hours of branching pathways. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is a lot easier to take player actions into account when your sessions are more granular. Yes. Hard agree. So there's there's some DM advice for anybody who is thinking about taking up the mantle or currently very tired of running four to five hour <laughs> sessions for their party. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, that's another point in favor of Lancer is... Um, most of the missions, and I was going to bring this up earlier, but I guess now's a good time. Um, one thing I really like doing with combat, and I've, I should have been doing this the whole time, and I've been a little bit better about it recently, is like non-combat objectives. Mm -hmm. And um, specifically in Lancer, a lot of time the objective is not you know wipe out all the enemy mechs. It's secure a point or capture a piece of intel or escort something across the field. And because of that, in the rules for a lot of these scenarios, uh, there is a maximum time limit of six rounds. Ah. And I think that is a beautiful number to aim for, for like the duration of combat. Sure. Um, cause, cause yeah, if it drags out into like a, a huge slog, it can really, really impact your ability to tell a story. <laughs> right. 
And that may be something that I need to play with more in the Alchemist Clubs. Time limits on combat. Mm -hmm. Which will keep the party from being like, okay, we're not really accomplishing anything other than Falrock is soaking 500 <laughs> points of damage. Right. And then it also becomes less of a game of how many uh, how many spell slots can Tarjax manage to use up in one fight? Right. <laughs> but yeah, the six six round time limit that sounds pretty juicy. Actually, yeah. I like that a lot. And it's like six rounds is the like upper limit. Sometimes it's like, hey, if the enemies are still in control of this point by round four, the players lose. Yes. And um, it's it's like a much more structured kind of mission setup where. You get like a briefing, and then you go do the mission, and then you get like a debriefing, and then a downtime. And that downtime is supposed to be the only time that you're using your out of combat stuff, but uh -huh. uh, that is not how it goes in my campaign. <laughs> and you know what? That's fair. Yeah, I yeah. There's no there's no right way to play tabletop games. There is a wrong way. There are, there are many. There wrong are lots ways. of wrong ways. <laughs> but um, there is not a right way. As long as you're not doing it wrong, you are doing it right. Yeah. I have I have no idea if this is going to be enjoyable for people to listen to. If I'm being well, you know honest. what? It's enjoyable for me. I've had yeah, no, I've had a great time just like chatting about stuff. This is a <laughs> hell of a lot easier than actually running a game. God, yeah. Um. Okay, so we've covered what like the questions, leveling. We've talked a little bit about combat and what we like and don't like. Do you want to, like, jump into Q&A on my stuff? Or is there anything else that you wanted to cover? We are, so we've got, we're at 53 minutes right now oh. of, oh, wow. of okay. recording. So I don't know well, that I want to get into too much more. Like, I was, my plan originally was just to be like, Waffle, tell me how you dungeon master and, and just let <laughs> you go. But I don't, yeah. I don't think we have. I still want to do that sometime, but maybe maybe today's not the day. We'll we'll save that for when we inevitably run out of backlog again. Or honestly, if if people are interested, I would not be opposed to doing. I don't know that I would do hour long episodes of this, but like a little sub podcast or like oh yeah, it's a DM's corner yeah sort of thing to just chat with people about stuff. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, that'd be fun because because like you were saying, basically everyone here, you know, with the exception of one, is a dungeon master in some regard or another, and yeah. getting to hear everybody's philosophies and like their their different styles would be really cool. It would. And Daniel Daniel has done some DMing. It was, I believe, a very short stint, and I'm sure he'll correct me on this if I'm getting it wrong, <laughs> and I can send out you know editors' corrections later. But yeah. um, I think he was running. I think he ran like five or six sessions for some of his some of his yeah, friends and family nothing. yeah so that i mean that's enough to get a feel for it if nothing else right um but yeah that's i that's going to be driven partly on like listener interest and, yeah whether or not people like this at all yeah um and they already they already get a lot of me talking during the alchemist club and me we picked really the two worst people <laughs> yeah, we did. for this hope you aren't interested in hearing from somebody unusual today <laughs> um but yeah if this is if this is something that you the listeners would like to hear more of honestly i would be kind of delighted to to keep doing it just because yeah. this is like you don't usually have a chance to talk shop as a dm right yeah um 
so that would be certainly fun. not for an hour like you get like a five minute afterwards like right you're still hanging around in the call but not yeah not down to the details like this it's really cool yes uh, so let let me know if this is something that you would be interested in hearing more of. I would be happy to get the rest of the Alchemist Club on kind of one at a time, um, and we could intersperse it. I don't. I do not plan on changing the Alchemist Club upload schedule. Like we are still going to be unless circumstances force us into a corner like this again, one episode a week. Um, this would be like bonus content. Mm-hmm. You know, for the Patreon. For the Patreon. If we if we did have a Patreon, this would be something that Patreon members uh, would be getting as a reward. Um, but fortunately for you, the listener, we do not. And so you're getting it in place of your normally scheduled content. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks. We appreciate you. We really do. It's kind of amazing that there are people that dedicate time to listen to us be goofballs yeah, who dedicate time to listen and then also dedicate the time to write yes like that's crazy good uh-huh. job you're you're amazing and we appreciate you and you are you are beautiful people inside the real and heroes. out yes really this podcast should be about you and we're like the listeners it's no actually that's a weird <laughs> recursive loop you know what i'm gonna shut up um uh, uh this has been the dungeon masters corner chat fireside chat we'll workshop a name um yeah. thanks for sitting through it if you did not sit through it i understand but you're not going to hear me saying this so it doesn't matter um i've been joe uh your host and dungeon master for the alchemist club uh with me today we have I'm Waffle, and you may know me better as Tarajux, the Danger, the Storm, Heiko. Um, you can get in touch with us in all the usual ways. You know where to find us. Um, engage with our content. Leave a review. I'm dangerously close to sounding like a YouTuber. <laughs> hey, don't forget to smash that notification bell. Like and Did... subscribe. I mean, do most of the podcast sites even have those? Like, I don't. I don't, I don't know. I I figure like if you are if you're using a podcast platform, it tells you when there's a new episode of like I I think you subscribe to a podcast and it's like okay, there's a new episode. Yeah. Hey, grok our feed. Please don't. That's what the kids say, right? No. I actually, and this is an, a tangent that does not need to be here. I'm going to say it anyway. I actually did read, um, the book that that originated from. The name of oh. which escapes me. It's it's a Heinlein. Stranger in a Strange Land. That's where that's where Grok comes from. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. Uh very interesting. <laughs> I will if you are planning on picking up a book at the random tangent of, you know, DM Joe. <laughs> Heinlein has a lot of problems with sexism. I'm that's just gonna throw that I out heard there. That. Yeah. For uh forewarning and fair warning. Um but you know, I have so many Sanderson books that I still have to read. Yes, like that. You I don't do have to go to the bottom of the list. San- okay, I'm gonna. This is where we're gonna stop. <laughs> uh, DM Joe's book recommendations. Read everything Brandon Sanderson has written. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Hopefully, this wasn't painful uh, to do. And your regularly scheduled Alchemist Club adventures will be back next week. See you soon. Hopefully. Very hopefully. hopefully.